Welcome to this bonus episode of TF coming at you live from the past. The Where ghosts are from. Am I riding roughshod over the concept of live? <laughs> well, you know, we're mm. coming at you uh, live. We're certainly coming. Mm. Yes, <laughs> we're, we're, we're all coming because Since we installed right. the Huawei dick-sucking machine under the desks in the studio. Yeah, well, we keep doing DIY and adding new things. We've got we the do. audio faceplate. Who knows what we'll have by the time this episode comes out, and both Milo and I are out of the country. We, we build a dick-sucking machine that looks like Elon Musk. <laughs> um, no, no, we're all coming because we all have a fetish for the world's worst writing. Mm, so yeah. it's uh, Riley, Milo, and Alice, and we're yet again joined today by Nish Kumar, the man who doesn't know how to say no. It's listen. I am a. Com- I like to complete projects. I like to see <laughs> things through to their bitter end. Exactly. So, without any further ado, ado. I would like to uh, open now this official episode, The Assassination of the 19th mm. Century by the Coward Lytton Strachey. <laughs> <laughs> very good. I have faith oh, that this is going to good. be powerfully normal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, I'd like to add a small fact. While doing some background reading and additional reading for this show, I learned that the current Duke of Wellington, Arthur Wellesley the Ninth, yeah. is a merchant banker, and his chief professional rival no is, a, for that. is a French merchant banker named Jean-Christophe Prince Napoleon, the descendant of Napoleon. So none of these people <laughs> oh, are enemies. Incredible. Is his, what? Is, the, yes. is, is his outer crust a kind of, like, pie pastry? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Covering no, the... Su- Succulent beef within. <laughs> a, 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 a financier, not a Napoleon. I, I, I'm mm. still so into this thing that happens. Like, uh, do you know about Adidas and Puma, the shoe companies? Uh, <laughs> that literally founded by two brothers who just decided to hate each other one day and build identical trainer factories Damn. on different sides of the same town it's, in Bavaria. It's such a powerfully German energy. Mm. <laughs> or in two case. trainer factories, both alike in dignity. <laughs> Although, in. And fair Baden-Baden and production efficiency. <laughs> okay, so uh, what a family! What a what a family Christmas! Listen, you, I, you I think take... your family Christmas were awkward because your uncle voted mm. leave? Like, <laughs> imagine <laughs> this level. What, of shit. what happens in the basement gets taken out on the face of the German trainer industry. Um, so, from the this is from the acknowledgments of the book. Um, it was Heaven's Command by Jan Morris that sparked my interest in history, and learning about Charles Gordon and Sleeman at age 14 influenced two chapters in the book. Cool. So, he's, so high school. Yeah. So, what a fun kid he must have been. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 there's there's like this five the- sources in this, too, right? <laughs> um, yeah. I was a huge fan of bands like My Chemical Gas Attack, and White was fine, actually. Uh, one... um. So one of the key things to remember about this book is Jacob Rees-Mogg is literally telling you uh, he has a 14-year-old's understanding of history. Yeah, yeah. He stopped at 14. Also, this is we're recording this on the day uh, that we discovered Jacob Rees-Mogg doesn't understand what a crisp is Mm. because he tried Mm. to sort of post a funny picture of him holding a crisp. But he did it with all the confidence of somebody who has never seen a crisp before. <laughs> he was like holding it upside down in yeah, like two fingertips. So... I don't oh, trust that. I like don't trust a, that. Like a I gang think, sign. It's I like think... how babies hold other babies. Mm. <laughs> I think he has seen a crisp, but he's performing mm. that he hasn't seen a crisp. Right, yeah. Remember, right, right, right. he is not an aristocrat. Well, the issue is I can't take any okay. chance that Gary right. Lineker might have touched this. All right. <laughs> Uh, yes, he, he will see, we'll come to see he has confused feelings about professional athletes in general. So, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> That's already concerning me. So last yeah. time on, on TF also, we started the uh, episode with the um, Litton Strachey paragraph, which mm-hmm. should, again, a brief reminder of what good history writing and good writing in general is before we go back into the latter half of Jacob Rees-Mogg's awful book, Eminent Victor- mm. the Victorians or whatever. So I'm going to recap the Litton Strachey paragraph. The history of the Victorian age will never be written, We knew to- for we know too much about it. Ignorance is the first requisite of the historian. Ignorance which simplifies and clarifies, which selects and emits with a placid perfection unattainable by the highest art. It is not by the direct method of, sc- of a scrupulous narration that the explorer of the past can hope to depict that singular epoch. If he is wise, he will adopt the subtler strategy. He will row out over that great ocean of material and lower down into it here and there a little bucket, which will bring up to the light of day some characteristic specimen of those far depths to be examined with a careful curiosity. Yeah, whereas I could describe Jacob Rees-Mogg's approach as more just like sticking the barrel of the super soaker in the pool around a <laughs> point and just pulling back the lever and hoping for the best. But more importantly, remember that this is primarily, we are rowing out our little boat over the green waters of Jacob Rees-Mogg and seeing what we can learn about him mm. from his bizarre encomiums. Yeah, because the one thing that these people are incapable of doing is extracting themselves from their writing. Mm. Oh, and boy, will we be seeing some of that. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. So, let's begin uh, with the the monarch so nice, they named her after a dick piercing, Prince Albert. (laughs) Uh, Prince Albert (laughs) married... Did you just misgender Prince Albert? (laughs) (laughs) Cancelled. Cancelled. The funniest and most on-brand way of getting cancelled. Did you just just use my incorrect pronouns? (laughs) Uh, Royal royal pronouns are we, ours. Yeah, exactly. We won. Prince Albert married Queen Victoria and was instantly cucked by the fact that he had no authority in the household, went on to busy himself with various unimportant nonsense, some of it are relatively progressive, but we cannot emphasize enough. Unimportant nonsense. Mm. And Jacob Rees-Mogg is about to spend the entire chapter trying to suggest that this fancy, fancy boy was Mm. anything more than a Victorian Wyatt Coke. (laughs) It begins as any good story does with 20 straight pages of the specifics of the very specific details of exactly how Albert's young life went, who taught him, and various bits of evidence Mm. of how he learned stuff like forthrightness, and exactly Mm. in precise detail how the marriage between Albert and Victoria was arranged, including the full transcription of certain letters. This is the thing, right? Because uh, this is the closest thing Jacob Rees-Mogg has to a superhero, is this a feet dandy boy? And so, it, of yeah. course, it suffers from the same problems that all superhero movies do, where they're so in love with the character, they think they have to do the origin story every time. Yeah, in mm. full. Yes. Also, let's face it, he's padding for time. Yes. This, this is a man who has printed out Wikipedia and so hit the thesaurus button on his <laughs> yeah. words. It's, it, it's a combination of, uh, mm. according to the Oxford English Dictionary, Prince Albert is. Uh, no, yeah. don't, don't well, complete that. Don't complete The thing that. about Jacob Rees-Mogg is, he's printed out Wikipedia and looked at it and gone, this is nowhere near spurious enough. <laughs> um, so I think the other, the, 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 so we're going to jump right to their, uh, right to their married life. Mm. In a sign of the tiny duties, which at the beginning of his marriage to Victoria were permitted him, the Queen recorded that, quote, Albert helped me with the blotting paper when I signed. Oh, cool. Damn. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's, just a, he's just a guy who stands a strong Queen. Yeah. You know? He's a he's wife a... guy. He's a wife guy. He's doing the exactly. soy face while his wife is in a polycule mm. with like 60 million British people. 
Mm. I mean, so he's actually he becomes Wyatt Coke. He starts Ralph Wiggum. Yeah, and he's <laughs> a bit help. It's a bit Chris Lowville as well. Like, listen, yeah. if you were married to me, I'd be blotting your signature all day long, baby. <laughs> so I'm a successful back surgeon and like Christmas a tree importer. Five pound notes, <laughs> ready to spoil a girl. Actually, no. that would have been a lot of money back then. No, that's true. <laughs> Eventually, he did become more of an influential player in public life, but he had never really taken much of an official job. So mm. what Jacob Rees-Mogg argues is basically that he was a good note taker and an effective diplomat, which made him a brilliant Victorian somehow. Mm. Boring, 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 boring. No one could take notes anymore. That's we are instead going to focus on his wildly stupid and expensive Great Exhibition, yes. which according to Jacob Rees-Mogg was Hell a yeah. great exhibition. <laughs> That's why Damn. it was called the Great Exhibition. Mm. The, the, the section of Japanese uh, cartoon erotic <laughs> art was particularly... So, uh, the Prince Consort is perhaps best remembered both in Britain and abroad for his support. Abroad, abroad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, talking about the Great Exhibition abroad. Abroad, where he is from. <laughs> Both in Britain and abroad for his support of the Great Expedition, that gargantuan demonstration of human culture and technology, which ran for six glorious months in 1851. Must be exhausting being glorious for six months. You want a day off. Damn. Yeah. It was the summer of 51, a lesser-known Brian Adams also, track. Why, why is Jacob Rees-Mogg promoting an event from over 160 he's years ago? Because man. he thinks it's now. Yeah. Because Jacob Rees-Mogg lives his life as though it is now. No, listen, guys, I can't tell you how, when I go and see my family in India, they're always like, oh, of course, you're from Britain, the country of James Bond, and the Great Exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> it's all they talk about. Oh. Oh. We'll come to that in a moment. <laughs> Mm. Uh, the cultural achievements and technological prowess of many peoples were on display beneath Ooh, the splendid mm, glazed roof of the yeah. Crystal Palace in London's Hyde Park. Mm. It, it, I really do. am expecting him to say, this Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Come and see the bounties of Empire, Empire, Empire. I love, I love the steam-powered monster yeah. truck rally. <laughs> yeah. The cultural achievements and technological prowess of many peoples were crushed beneath Truckosaurus. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be, it'd be Steam Loomosaurus. <laughs> um, the Great Exhibition is brought oh, yeah. to you by Stamps.com. Yeah, <laughs> but we've got all these street urchins and we're feeding them straight into this Steam Loom. <laughs> Watch them be crushed to dust, dust, dust. Uh, but this and this dust can be used as a medicated powder, powder, powder. <laughs> yeah, to make your wife's vagina dry, 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 dry. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we like now. <laughs> yeah, but this was preeminently a British showcase and a stage for British glory. It afforded mm. the nation an opportunity to gaze at its own achievements. And its own uh, modernity. There's been too few opportunities for that in Britain in the <laughs> last 200 years. <laughs> and what was even better, to have these achievements absorbed and wondered at by a collection of visitors and a new mm. contemporary media. Cool. cool. Ooh. What's, awesome. he, what's new contemporary media? Is he. What's no. he talking about? Uh, pamphlets. I like pornographic yeah. lithographs. Exactly. I like, I like, I like a cardboard thing as a that you podcast. Pop up and then you see like a lady's panties come off. So, <laughs> I love recording my podcast on wax cylinders and mailing it around to various aristocrats. <laughs> um, <laughs> so here is here's how it all began. A man named Henry Cole. So just note that there has always been someone he called either Henry or Harry Cole who's been a Renfield to right-wing politicians forever. <laughs> Are we sure it's not just yeah. the same guy? He's just like yeah. secretly immortal. Oh, he's like a vampire or something. Yeah, that it's makes it's sense. just Dracula shit. Yeah. Um, oh. It's just like there's, there's always been like a deeply cucked man at the center of British journalism. Yeah. Har- Har- Harry Cole stumbles name. out onto the beach and is met by a helicopter. And it's like, <laughs> welcome, welcome to England, Mr. Cole. Um, yeah. Right, but uh, 
And he had delighted in the Paris exhibition, but he noticed the failure of its organizers to allow for a foreign space and thereby saw a golden opportunity. Ah, he Français. related to Albert ah, yes. his notion of creating an international expedition, exposition, one that would be a great deal larger, more complex, and more ambitious than anything Paris could put together. The, the, <laughs> the Paris ex, this Paris exposition just seems to be a long line of tins of shoe polish. Yeah. What are they exhibiting <laughs> over there? Fucking baguettes? Nah, we'll sort this right out. <laughs> Um, moment. Love to go to the cartoon mm. section of the Paris Exposition, right? And so, of course, the whole exhibition was catered by famous British bakery Gregman's. <laughs> so, the House of Commons resolved that the money for the exhibition ought to come from the voluntary contributions of individuals. The first subscriber was the Queen, who donated a thousand pounds. wife subscribes mm. to podcast Patreon. <laughs> Your va- I, th- I think Damn. your event is very special. Yeah, fucking Queen Victoria, say what you will about that bitch, but she knew how to like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> so, uh, Punch Magazine, then in its heyday, saw much scope for satire and unkind cartoons rained down on the royal couple. <laughs> oh, no. Not unkind cartoons. That's the trouble. It's very uncivil, the Victorian well, they didn't era. didn't the Free Speech Union. No. Oh, you know, th- th- if only... This is totally... Toby Young had been around yeah, no. to set up a free speech union. No. There's protect... going to be a guy called Tobias Old in a second. Well, the problem with the Great Exhibition is uh, the, many of the unkind words being said <laughs> in the general vicinity thereof. <laughs> he, he likes phrenology, but like something older and like as ridiculous mm. to the Victorians as phrenology was to us. He's like a theosophist <laughs> or something. Oh, he's into like Orgone the four humours. <laughs> yeah. No, he's, uh, he's mm. into physiognomy. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm so into this idea that I've had of Prince Albert being like the podcaster boyfriend of a much more successful woman. <laughs> well, I could say the He's unkind AOC's boyfriend. Alice, the yeah. unkind cartoons uh, did not much please Albert. Uh, Reese Mogg says, who was sensitive to ridicule. Yeah, he's just up at Damn. night trying to explain Twitter to his boy. girlfriend, who's like <laughs> just got off of work running the country. Uh-huh. Yeah, they very keep- fun, sweetie. Why do they keep drawing my penis with a huge piercing through it? <laughs> Why do people keep Don't asking understand. if I'm in a can? Uh, the building mm. itself was filled to overflowing with the evidence of British the, technological there's, prowess. There's your problem. Your building's overflowing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's a good sign. The building could not perform the basic function of a building, which yeah. is holding things in it. Cotton mm. spinning machines and printing machines, locomotives and telegraphs, steam turbines mm. and steam hammers, carpets Damn. from Astminster and ribbons from Coventry. You say carpets this from sounds- Astminster? Uh. <laughs> this sounds like up. a dog shit exhibition. Yeah, this is not change the name of the fucking group do not, chat. Do not change the name of the group chat. I just love the idea that like ribbons was somehow the peak of British technology. <laughs> well, also, this here's the thing, right? This is where we're gonna get r- lower our little bucket and bring up an insight about Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yeah, he's a hedge fund guy. And he's dreaming of a past where business was productive and people could see the obvious products of the economic titans of their time. But think about all the festivals that he's interested in, such as the Festival of Britain, which happened earlier, the Festival of Brexit, which is still upcoming. But what do these like? They don't even have the different kinds of goo-gahs like the international exhibition, which had like a Canadian fire engine and American guns and French silks and stuff, because it just had nothing. No, but they He's love a festival. They love yeah. a festival. They love, <laughs> I don't know, carnies, I guess. They love shooting at a coconut. Well, mm. Because what, he, this, what this reminded me of, actually, was the widely reviled Millennium Dome, or as I've been referring to it, the Millennium Condom, which yeah. is 
Mm. And this is like what was in the Millennium Dome? It was like uh, oh, I actually went to the Millennium I, Dome. I went to the Millennium Dome. Yeah, it was too. So, they, they had a big version of a human body, so you could walk through yeah, a guy's. That was, that was dope, actually. Like seven-year-old me thought that was pretty but fucking then, cool. Because then you got in an escalator and went into the head, yeah, and it yeah, was yeah. full of brains wearing fezes, telling Tommy Cooper jokes. Like the whole thing <laughs> was like a sort of weird cheese weird. dream. Yeah. So wait, are you are you mm. saying that some some future Jacob Rees Mogg is going to write a biography of Tony Blair <laughs> that heavily involves his decision to make a big mm. stupid dome that's more yeah. or less like I mean, was mm. never performed yeah. the function it was supposed to well, perform. Like, no. L- London of the 2000s and the new Labour administration of that time was basically just like running a circus on the side, just putting up a yeah. big tent and a Ferris wheel. So yeah, well, it was yeah. the, the big, the big yeah. tent, and like, but it didn't actually have it. All everything that was in it was ridiculously paltry. Like, at least people were actually excited about the great exhibition. It was silly, but people seemed to be excited about yeah, it. Yeah, because the time. It, because the building was mm. overflowing, which is much harder yeah. to do with a dome. Are you um, suggesting that is. Jacob Rees-Mogg, as a hedge fund guy, thinks the festival of Brexit should be filled with complex financial products? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think we have to understand mm. this book as a large. Uh, instance of incomprehension and alienation on the part of Jacob Rees-Mogg this wish for a world of certainty as opposed to this as opposed to the dust of highly lucrative financial instruments because he feels fundamentally alienated by what he does and who he is which is why he reaches so far back to the past for his identity I mm. love this I love this let's get I love Damn. this let's get right into the nitty-gritty of and what so, his of, personality of course, loved the of past. course he loves the great exhibition yeah. because the great exhibition is something that it's uncomplicated uncomplicated to like Mm. And 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 he, that's why he wishes to return to that world, and that's why he identifies so strongly with it. But as we'll see over the next biographies, mm. why he he is unable to divorce himself from the yeah. ideology of Thatcher, and so whatever he thinks of as Victorianism is basically just Thatcherism crowbarred mm. into the nineteenth century. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and you know, well, everyone loves exhibitions, and if you're gonna like an exhibition, it may as well be the great one. Mm. Yeah, in the name. So as Albert wished, there was a strongly international flavor to the exhibits. Everyone, hold mm. on to something. Oh Christ! Oh, the God. great. Koei- I'm holding on to the memory of my ancestors. <laughs> the great Koei Noor diamond, lately oh! presented to the Queen by the yes! East India Company, <laughs> made its first appearance Damn. on British soil, as did Ireland's 8th century Tara brooch, which had recently been rediscovered only in the previous year by the passive voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there, was, there was an East India Company involved exhibition. <laughs> oh, good Damn. lord. The East India Company. It was amazing how we, we just we just helped the Irish find that brooch. Yeah. Mm. It was pretty cool. It was they cool. had lost yeah. it. And they that's the thing. It. You can't that's they why can't be these things need it. to be they need to be kept in museums yeah. so that people can't misplace it's them. They kept a note of where it was, but it was so badly spelled that they couldn't work <laughs> out and so it was only <laughs> when, you know, the, just, the, the, yeah, this the, is like Lord Carnarvon tunneling into a pyramid in Meath. I think what happened here actually was that uh, Ireland, you see, Ireland really likes to bet on sports. And so mm. what they did was, look, they had a great 26-way parlay that they were going to be able to pull off, but they needed to, mor- to mortgage the Tara Brooch. Are, are you saying here that Prince Albert is the pawnbroker in Uncut Gems who's like, you don't have a second ring? Okay, papi. <laughs> okay, so enormous crowds turned out on that first day. The only error on the first day was great writing there, Jacob. Oof, was that- that is, this is, the problem with these people is they're 
fucking shit at writing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> welcome to this. The only error on that first day was that a Chinese man in traditional robes was thought to be part of the ceremony, but even that was a happy mistake in retrospect. <laughs> Damn. I love that, the idea that like it would spoil the overall image if they thought that a Chinese man was involved in oh, any way. I'm sorry, I thought you were involved. Like, what the no. I thought you were an exhibition. Damn. <laughs> well, you know, because Keep you're boring. Keep away from me, <laughs> Um, mm. So, vast crowds continued to come With over 6 million visitors Making their way to Hyde Park Before the exhibition closed Given that the total population Of the United Kingdom Was 27 million at the time Of mm. whom 6.5 million were in Ireland <laughs> Thank you for the math, Jacob yeah. <laughs> these, these figures show that the event was a triumph Damn, he's a needle guy why is he's, he, Nate, why is, he's Nate Silver Why is he doing PR for a 19th century <laughs> Aussie fest? Because it's it was because, cool Because yeah. it, like, because, like, it made this weird fail son's life have meaning And he didn't just feel like Wyatt Coke Designing like fancy frilly shirts That are suitable for the boardroom and the discotheca yeah. so, I'm sorry all, but Albert had one of the greatest exhibitions of all time I just gotta <laughs> say that right here Best of all, the great exhibition made a profit A princely 160,000 well, pounds <laughs> thing, isn't it? <laughs> wow, I can th- it's, it's amazing Where he's just like, here's a list of the best Best possible things about the Great Exhibition. And best of all, mm. it didn't make a loss. Yeah. Unlike the Socialist Exhibition, or as I call it, the post-war consensus. <laughs> Which was, if, if this profit was invested in an area uh, of South Kensington called Albertopolis that housed world-class museums, including his namesake, the V&A. What the f- Mm. <laughs> it's like a travel guide. I it's like the Albertopolis. Apparently, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do jokes about the VNA. I like the VNA. Uh, I don't like it. It's Britain's junk drawer. Um, <laughs> the, the first you, don't, you don't like sixteen hundred bronzes. Yeah, it is a lot of like stuff you'd find at your nan's house. Yeah. Like, oh, it's a curtain with a picture of Africa sewn on it. <laughs> yeah, you, know, like, you right. just have like a, a big tin of like uh, Danish biscuits, and you opened up, and it's just full of bronzes. <laughs> the first legacy of the Great Exhibition was to make the royal family immensely popular. Cool. Amazing. Right. The thing about yeah. the Great Exhibition is it really put the Queen Victoria on the map. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Before that, no one knew who she was. That was really, yeah. that was the making you know, of it. I remember uh, Queen Victoria's unplugged exhibitions in some dirty <laughs> basements in Soho. Hell yeah, yeah. They were like, they were real like so, hipsters in the 1840s here, here, who were into Queen Victoria. Here's but. the next one. People knew how hard Albert had worked in the project, even at the cost of his own health. They were they were proud of. Look, pe- pe- people in the nineteenth century, like rich people, loved uh, forfeiting their own health by like doing two weeks of work and then having to take a year off. <laughs> Damn. Well, I mean, he 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 caught the exhibition lung, which yeah. really plagued. I, I, I think I I I identify with this. I'm gonna get one of these diseases. I'm gonna get like dyspnea. Neurasthenia. Yeah, neurasthenia I'm, I'm gonna get neurasthenia, and I'm gonna be like, yeah, I can't I can't do any work. I did a whole podcast i've been up for like an yeah. hour uh neurasthenia has to be an edm act no, from 2005 uh, it's, surely it's, it's from a la recherche and tom perdue one of those diseases one of those diseases that makes you cough into a handkerchief yes. and two spots of blood yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like i just, I just have to like lie average. down with a lot of so. pillows all the time <laughs> so he ha- Albert had to exercise every skill he possessed as a diplomat too, such as halting mad schemes like the idea floated that the Hyde Park site ought Should to be begin with a race around the world. <laughs> <laughs> but the Hyde Park- no, much more normal than that. That the Hyde mm. Park site ought to be surrounded by eight feet high railings for extra security. Well, that thing they do for every event in yeah. the world now. Also, also, also again, if, if they you- do that for like the kebab awards now, like <laughs> if you need to make Prince Albert such an important person that you're like, yeah, and he didn't even make it make any sort of normal. 
normal dumb decisions. I just, <laughs> I, I just I, I'm so into mm. this, this. I've discovered a new guy in my head, and it's the security guy for the kebab awards who like is really fully <laughs> tier one operating, and is like, yeah, we've got yeah, the yeah, like yeah. Hesco blocks and everything. But so, the trouble is that he's mainly been taught racial profiling, which at the Kebab Awards does not work. It does <laughs> so, not work. Uh, or anywhere else. Uh, no. So, duty was, this is the conclusion of the chapter, duty was Albert's watchword. He never shied away from what was required, be it another formal speech at the dinner, at a dinner, or making the household a little more efficient. <laughs> yeah, Albert yeah, he fought, suffered so much. <laughs> Albert fought the good fight against what exactly? Yeah, what, who what's can the say? struggle uh, here? Having eight foot fences, against I guess. Fencing? Yeah. Against fencing? Pun- against Punch yeah. Magazine? In his unkind cartoons, they made him look like an old fishwife, but he was undeterred. (laughs) There is almost no jeopardy in this. Please tell me at some point the roof caves in or something. Well, at one point he does direct the restoration of Whitehall, but that was too boring to put in. (laughs) He's a prince. Like what the fuck? Um, certain people were kind of mean to him and didn't respect him in the Damn. palace, but then nothing happened. Yeah, so he's a a free speech guy. People were asking him. He wants to make that illegal. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Alice, I think you'll find he fought the good fight against question mark, finished the course because he had an entire imperial country helping him. By finished the course, do we <laughs> and mean forever died? in which to do it? And kept the faith, which which should never really have been shaken anyway. So, I, I know he means race course when he says finish the course, but I, I just I have no choice but to interpret it as meal. <laughs> he was a truly virtuous Victorian. Awesome. Nice alliteration, Jacob. Love so, it. Man, my man's finished year five English. <laughs> Remember, imagine you're defending your beloved institution just from the very concept of criticism. Uh, all <laughs> you're able to do is write over and over again like The Shining. Great exhibition, good. Great exhibition, good. Great exhibition, good. All work and no play makes Albert a great exhibition. Um, as though the scurrilous Litton Strachey hated the very concept of things being good. Yeah, he, he would never have put a bunch of steam looms stacked on top of each other in a hole. Hell yeah. Yeah, he would have felt- never made a building overflow in his goddamn life. <laughs> Except with bad ideas and criticism exactly. and meanness. That whole yeah. chapter has less jeopardy than the film Get Him to the Greek, which is this movie where Jonah Hill has to get Russell Brand to LA in an amount of time that is more than enough to get someone from London to LA. Wow, you only, you only have two days. You're going to have to pay more to book a flight. I hope a prince can organise a simple exhibition. Yeah. Oh, they he can. They're, they're like, they're taking, taking Russell Brand through the security questions at the check-in desk takes way too long because he keeps using like long highfalutin yeah. words. Yeah. So, well, I find that this has sport. been an exemplary. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We're going to talk about Benjamin Disraeli and this is going to, Disraeli mm. and Gladstone are going to be short ones because Jacob Rees-Mogg's politician ones are very boring because he's just like here's a litany of all of the laws they made and the laws they didn't make he doesn't Mm. want Uh, to be a politician does he no no he just wants to be he wants to be a character Mm. so Mm. I've gotten the most characterful elements of Disraeli and Gladstone so this is as Jacob Rees-Mogg says of Disraeli Mm. Disraeli invested a good deal of creative and political energy in describing a past consisting of a feudal idol Interesting. Interesting. We love the feudal system. He held or claimed to hold the view that there had once been a golden age in Britain when the interests of landowners and their tenants went hand in glove. One looked after the interests of the other, which in return gave fealty not out of fear, but from love. Mm. Oh, come the fuck on. Yes, uh, someone who is just is... I'm interested. Who else would write a fantasy about when good things were unambiguously good Mm. in the past? (laughs) 
can't think of anyone. I love being like born in a naturally occurring mansion, surrounded by my big, my big <laughs> dirty sons, who I have to look after by getting them to grow turnips, which I sell and keep most of the profit of, but for their own benefit. <laughs> so Disraeli's was a great common vision. Uh, was part of a great common vision, which a host of others, including Augustus Pugin, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg's The Avengers, were getting a crossover. Oh, damn. <laughs> Share. It was the concept of a kinder, Christ. kinder, gentler, and more balanced past that might be resurrected if the will existed. You know, the kinder, gentler, and more balanced past where people were like, I don't know, had their intestines ripped out for being Catholic. Mm. Yeah, but that was mm. that was nice because it was feudal and like yeah. it, it was progressive and stuff. Uh, I actually those... loved it when we had witch finders. Yeah, exactly. I'm that just was thinking good. of the, like the opposite of this, which is like uh, Tolstoy or the various like Russian noblemen who were like at the head of this serf-based system and tried to do progressivism to it, and just kind of like going up to a serf and being like, "You don't have to like be a serf anymore." And the serf's just like, "But I do." Yeah, that happened in 2019 too. Ah, yeah. Uh, his his Disraeli's view was of a gentle and paternalistic conservative party which brought the two nations together. Is it too much to suggest that as early as the 1840s, Disraeli had seen the future for the Tory party in the light of a widening oh. franchise? <laughs> what the fuck is he talking like, about? Also, just Disraeli like benign... invented one nation conservatism, I guess. Well, I mean, the thing is, right, like the, the argument again is that, look, I... I uh, it, 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 it's, it's facile for me to say that Jacob Rees-Mogg looks at the ostensible purpose of Disraeli's writing, yeah. right? Which is to say, which is to say, he truly believed that the interests of these people could go hand in glove, blah 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 blah, and to say, well, oh, he's obviously being cynical here, and it's like, I don't even think he's being cynical. I just think he really enjoys the. I, I think he really enjoys the idea of noble pasts because I don't think he understands a way to connect to anything. Mm. Um, in the abstract, which you need to to connect yeah. to another person in the present yeah. or to connect <clears throat> to an idea in the future, you need to have the imaginative, imaginative ability to take the leap into modernism. Mm. Well, and also, if you're Jacob Rees-Mogg, right, you're at the top of the hierarchy, so you have to believe in the hierarchy because, like, why the fuck else would Jacob Rees-Mogg be at the top of the hierarchy, right? I mean, like, he's a man who writes like a child, like, has no physical strength. <laughs> like, he looks like you could break him in half like a Twix. Like, yeah, he, he looks why like someone he... who could get beaten in a fight by the Pringles man yeah like so he has to come up with some like bizarre like you know natural thing where like he is the ubermensch for some reason well it's that um i i think ultimately like i don't i i i think he must see this book as one of disraelis that will be remembered as one of disraelis right 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 if not for the lit and straighty like podcasters <laughs> and the horrible histories with their sjw nish kumar nish lit and straighty kumar <laughs> Indeed, it has been said that Lytton Strakey wrote a horrible history. <laughs> um, but that's all we're going to talk about about Disraeli. The rest of it's very boring. Gladstone, there's some shit going on in it, and we're mostly just reading this for the last line. Yeah, right. Is it, is, is, is it, he going what, to talk yeah, about his axe? What's his overall mm. vibe on Glad? What's his overall vibe on Gladstone? Um, he seems constantly pissed at Gladstone, but <laughs> likes that he was a moralist. Mm. He's like, Gladstone was a political purist who never achieved anything. All he did was protest about Ireland. Well, he, he also, like, chopped down a bunch of trees as a flex, which is the least Jacob Rees-Mogg thing I can imagine. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. Even to, 
Gladstone's most sympathetic biographers have not been able entirely to absolve Gladstone of the charge of hypocrisy, stemming from his notorious night walks and practice of self-mortification. You know, he he was controversial in the sense that he was Jack the Ripper and did murder (laughs) at least five sex workers in Whitechapel. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I love that Jack Brees Gladstone, you dead motherfucker. Jack Brees Mogg is like even the most sympathetic biographer, as I say, like, I have tried. I really, Uh I did my best. I absolutely love the fact that even Gladstone is too left wing for Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> yeah. Gladstone. Bloody Jeremy Gladstone doesn't even want to deploy Triton Damn. because he <laughs> doesn't know what that is and nuclear weapons haven't been invented yet. Mm. Ah, convenient. I bet the I bet the uh, Persian Empire, the Seleucids told you to say that. <laughs> um, yeah. Hell yeah. That was that's totally the wrong era. Um, yeah, that, that's much earlier. Damn, yeah. he's on the payroll of the Ottomans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Sublime Port tells him what to do. You want on Sublime yeah. Port TV. <laughs> he's been on press telegram. <laughs> so, Gladstone was given to walking the streets of mm. London in the hours of darkness, seeking out prostitutes with the intent of saving them and getting their lives back into good moral order. This uh-huh. is some Eddie Murphy ass shit right here. Yeah. Just like I was just giving the prostitute a ride home. It doesn't, it doesn't sound good. Yeah. No. I, no, nothing good comes from walking the streets of London in the hours of darkness, seeking out prostitutes with any intent, mm. right? So, but especially yeah. this. This is much creepier than just ah, oh, I'm going to have sex with them. It just the, I'm going to save them from themselves. He, he's, he's quite well, Rory on. Stewart, isn't he? Hang he's on, got everyone. that kind of a vibe. In 1854, he recorded in his diary that almost of of almost 90 prostitutes he tried to save, quote, there is but one of whom I know that the miserable life has been abandoned and that I can fairly join that fact with influence of mine. The other 89, I just keep fucking for some reason. Yeah. I love that the tally chart just like prostitutes saved, one one stroke. <laughs> and it's just like blowjobs received, 89. Gladstone well, revealed- Well, glad you tried. Gladstone revealed to his diary all sorts of additional details that help illuminate the religious dimension of his life. In its pages, he habitually and faithfully listed his, quote, days of impurity, and his diaries were li- littered with little whip signs believed to indicate days of self-mortification. Oh, God. 200 or- years into the future, we're going to be looking at Jeffrey Epstein's black book and be like, ah, all of these numbers must mean how penitent everyone was. <laughs> uh, everyone seemed to be 212,000 penitent. Uh, so, how does all this very peculiar behavior Square with Gladstone's strongly developed sense of Christian duty. Because even if Jacob Rees Mogg doesn't like Gladstone's for his politics, yeah. he mm. knows that Gladstone was part of a better era. So this is his attempt to be balanced. Yeah, he so, at least had the good sense to be born in the right period. So he basically is now going to try to say, actually, this weird shit that Gladstone was doing, we shouldn't judge it by the standards of our era. We should judge it by the standards of his era. Yeah, it was better. Well, I mean, Vic- Victorians fucking loved watching this guy just fucking chop down a tree for some reason. So Matthew, yeah. that is Matthew, true. Matthew five twenty eight would have been well known to Gladstone. The passage of the Bible that says, "But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart." Yeah, the Bible says no simping. This verse may explain why Gladstone would have referred to days of impurity and embraced the need for self mortification of the flesh. I mean, like, no, what? it doesn't. No, it fucking doesn't. It doesn't explain anything. What is going? Yeah. What the fuck is happening here? And also, let's just not try and rationalize the horniness of the Victorians because they were a people that thought that like tables were too sexy to yeah, leave yeah. lying around uncovered. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, f- we found this guy's diary entry, and it's just the entire text of "From Hell." What could this mean? <laughs> oh, well, maybe it was that he felt bad about looking at women. 
St. Thomas More wore a hair shirt, and there is a long Christian tradition of physically atoning for sins, which would have seemed much less unusual to Gladstone's contemporaries than it does to us today. Yeah, because cool. they were fucking nuts. Yes. What, what's he? What point is he trying to make here? He's trying. He's trying to say past good. <laughs> even even people I don't really like from the past good. Yes. Better than people I don't really like now. Well, it's also people I don't really like who were still Victorians, like Gladstone, mm. as opposed to people who I don't really like who were postmodernist SJWs like mm. Marx and yeah, trade n- unionists n- and black like, people and women. Yeah, n- now, think- if you go out after dark uh, to prowl the streets of London seeking out sex workers, you probably like are doing it to ask them their pronouns or something. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Hate to say yeah, it. Yeah, because like, remember, this is all about him crowbarring all of the people who succeeded in the Victorian times into some eternal Victorianness that they can then connect to Thatcherism. Yeah, even right. even when these people hated each other, like Gladstone and Disraeli, or had very little in common with each other, uh, yeah. they're all Victorians. And so he mm. uh, basically, uh, I say, so here's how he was a virtuous Victorian. His relative absence of cynicism was no ploy, but the genuine article, as and as his night prowls through London were a uh. real effort to save fallen women, so his political career was devoted to helping mankind. Stop calling Mog- them prowls if you want them to sound yeah. benign. Yeah. My, 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 normal, my extremely normal perving, my pervations. Mm. His charitable hunts. I mean, <laughs> one of the things I find really funny, almost charming about Jacob Rees-Mogg is his inability to do anything but have a surface level interpretation of anything <laughs> d- 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 yeah. does he say fallen women or and is that in quotes or anything uh it's it, that, nope fallen women not in quotes of course mm. cool what uh, a cool guy a cool motherfucker mm. um yeah i, I don't he, he's unable to take anything except at face value he's like garth marenghi who's uh, uh i know writers like, who use subtext and they're yeah, all that cowards. Goes right to the cowards yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Because, like, remember, he was like, well, look, he said that he was whipping himself because he was looking at prostitutes he was trying to save, and that, dusting my hands off theatrically, is that. Yeah, what <laughs> questions could you have? He's pure Garth Marenghi, because he's also, I'm one of the few people you'll meet who's written more books than they've read. <laughs> like, um, but also, like, think about, like, the Great Exhibition thing, where it was like, yeah, it was an amazing success, because it spawned a museum, and, and it had mm. all these fun things, and it made a lot of money, and everyone yeah. liked it, and it raised the estimation of the royal family. Zero critical engagement yeah, at it's, all. It's, it's no. only criticism of the Great Exhibition is that it accidentally included a Chinese person. <laughs> yeah. and, hey, and, we need to crack down on that that's more modern <laughs> shit yeah. and, and like um fucking it's, it's like the, what i find so funny and again almost charming about this is that he's doing pr for nobody <laughs> for really free funny. he's yeah he's doing free pr for dead people it's like no one's Hell yeah no one, like it's like you know who needs defending disraeli and gladstone yes. Yes. Yeah. Dead, dead. Dead. Ho- ho- hope he sees this all to, like, settle a dispute with a man who's been dead for 90 years. <laughs> let's, well, speaking of that man, let's get into it, because uh, we're about to talk about Charles Gordon, Gordon of Sudan, Chinese oh, Gordon, Gordon Pasha. Chinese Gordon. That's what they call him. <laughs> that sounds like something like someone's mate down the pub in Basildon would be called. So he isn't Chinese <laughs> yeah, at all. Gordon, the, the, the gibbo of his day. Yeah, yeah, Gordon of Khartoum was struck down as he led a small By British lightning. Fight- a small British force fighting against all the odds in the Sudan. But in that and case, he was rather struck down the by Sudanese. the odds, wasn't he? <laughs> yep, yep. Again, just no one in particular. And yeah. he was another eminent Victorian, unfortunate enough to catch the spiteful eye of Lytton yes! Strachey. Oh, Lytton Strachey yeah. struck him down. 
with the usual consequences for Gordon's reputation in the 20th century. Right, murdered by a time traveling Lytton Strachey. This is, this is this is Trump voice now. It's like very sad, very sad guy. Yeah, very, no very, mean, very nasty guy. Yeah, says yeah. a lot of things about very very great men, very good men failing guy. Yeah. Charles Gordon, big, very strong, Lynn Strachey, little runt, <laughs> little guy. Like, I call Gordon, little Gordon, Gordon is Trump's <laughs> figure of the hot yeah. general, right? Yeah, it's the mm. hot general. So let's let's talk about the hot general. In mm. this chapter, the aim is to re-examine this British exemplar, oh. this military hero, this globe-trotting service of the crown. Padding for word count, padding for word count, padding for word count. Globe-trotting servant of the crown, rather, who gave his life in its service. In particular, to emphasize the forgotten aspects of his story, his deep and unique of religiosity, his ability to understand and empathize with the people of the lands from China to Sudan, he visited as part mm. of his ostensibly imperial well, mission. When, 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 you say, <laughs> MC Hammer. when you say from China, China to Sudan. Do you mean China and Sudan? And Gravesend. Yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of space between China and Sudan. You can't argue um, with that. And the <laughs> sense, He's got very Iggy Azalea energy at this and, point. And the sense in which his life helps explain elements in this mission that are too frequently ignored or misunderstood. So, mm. I'm actually now going to read a passage from Lytton Strachey, who ah. describes Gordon thus. He was by nature... Farouche. His soul revolted against dinner parties and stiff shirts in the presence of ladies, especially fashionable ladies, filled him with uneasiness. The easy luxuries of his class and station were unknown to him. His clothes verged upon the shabby, and his frugal meals were eaten at a table with a drawer into which the loaf and plate were qu quickly swept at the approach of his poor visitors. The only book he read was the Bible. Can you imagine a description that less describes Riley? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, so, another, what another powerfully normal man. Yeah, just like yeah. Just hiding throwing bread from a plate with some bread into it, into my yeah. desk drawer. So, just hiding bread, being scared of women. Just normal stuff. <laughs> just having so a bread look, drawer. This is someone... <laughs> is that what bread tube is? This is someone who, of whom the official narrative, we should take at face value. Yeah. It's, I've just realized, actually, this is like a deeply antiques roadshow energy where so, the, the expert who's wearing eight different waistcoats goes like, oh, do, you know, do you know what this part of the desk is? It's actually, it's, it's called a drawer, which is a, a compartmento of bread drawer, because in the day of generals, it would be seem impolite for them to publicly have bread on their desk. So when a subordinate would enter the room, they would place their, their loaf or loaves or perhaps buns, something of that nature, into the drawer and close it thusly. <laughs> <laughs> to avoid so, any impropriety. So, back to JRM. Without knowledge of his relationship to God, Gordon the man cannot be fully understood. Strachey certainly lit on the issue. <laughs> <laughs> he hates him so much. But can no, we get they've a, never met. Yeah, can so we get like a, a horn? Can we get the MLG gamer horns for every time <laughs> yeah. he just mentions Lit and Strachey out of nowhere? So life. funny to be upset with someone, this upset with someone that you've never met. Yeah, we, we need like a swear jar or something. So, mm. Strachey certainly lit on this issue <laughs> and interpreted it unpleasantly. And this is, that's the bit of Lytton Strachey I quoted. Here's the bit of Lytton Strachey that um, Creator Reese Mogg quotes in order to own Lytton Strachey for right, being unkind okay. to Gordon. If you can spot where in this passage he is unkind to Gordon, I've been unable to see it. Yeah. He was Gordon Pasha, Strachey wrote, imagining the final days of Gordon in besieged Khartoum. He was the governor general, ruler of the Sudan. He was among his people, his own people. And it was to them only that he was responsible, to them and God. I don't see an insult What's in there. No, it's, it's all just portrayed it, him as like a naive idealist, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, about yeah. as it's, good it's, as it gets like, with these guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, right. he's basically, he's just calling him kind of a zealot and this like weird man of action who, in yeah. the end, ironically finds meaning in the process of getting killed by, I guess, time-traveling Lytton Strachey with a Glock. 
<laughs> no, it's not fawning enough because Jacob Reese Mogan <laughs> says jeering words from the disagreeable Strachey. <laughs> <laughs> The disagreeable straight chief, very disagreeable guy. <laughs> Nobody likes him. Ask anyone at the Washington Post. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Uh, so, how th- I don't get how those are disagreeable words. So, we can. He's not argue- allowed in the golf club. They won't so, let him in. We can argue that his faith or this sense of a personal relationship with God was essential to the coherence of Gordon's life, enabling him to make sense of its travails. God mm. did not know how to redeem us to be feeble and weak, but He redeemed us for His service to joy in Him and. To know him in his thick darkness. As we shall see, Gordon was to know firsthand much of the thick darkness that the Lord had ordained for him. Damn, I love getting pegged by God. You know, getting fucked by God. Damn, God God is packing some length. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the Opium Wars. Uh, These are uh, the imperial assaults on China. um, Could God have a dick so big that even he could not suck it? (laughs) And and the events that transpire here that lead to the combined European forces deciding to sack the Summer Palace Mm -hmm. in Beijing. Uh, Gordon was present, Jacob Rees-Mogg writes, as a royal engineer's commander, and his account was stark and troubled. We went out, and after pillaging it, burned the whole palace, destroying it in a vandal-like manner. We got upwards Mm. of 48 pounds apiece prize money. Cool. I had done well. Mm. The local people are very civil, but I think the grandees hate us, as they must after what we did to the palace. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds so troubled, (laughs) right? He's capable of basic A-B reasoning. He's like, yeah, we we burned all that shit and took what was left. They're, They're probs annoyed. I took a dump in one of their hats. Yeah. They're going to be furious. They're very upset about the <laughs> shit. Find that. Yeah. Uh, this, was, this is a valuable testimony, Jacob Rees-Mogg's right. Because Jacob Rees-Mogg writes because his words cast a useful light on Gordon's views of the entire event. No, they don't. Yes, they just say I stole a bunch of shit and I got paid. Well, Alice, Alice, he says yes, he's a participant and he does profit, but it's difficult to argue that he takes part eagerly. Oh, fuck. Uh. Also, like, how is any of this a valuable insight into a guy who's not that important, who died like 150 years ago? Who gives a flying I, fuck? Perversely, I do see the point more of this chapter than the Gladstone Disraeli okay. chapters. Okay, yeah. hit me. Because I, it, it, I, 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 this is obviously somebody who Respog has a sort of bee in his bonnet about. He has a strikey problem with. Mm. But I don't understand why he's also looked at Gladstone and Disraeli and gone, they need. Their reputations need laundering as soon as humanly mm. fucking possible. Yeah, well, the like, first it's, two it's prime ministers the, you um... learn about in school. Yeah, literally the yeah. first two, the only two prime ministers we learned well, about. Just remember, remember <laughs> from the acknowledgements, his knowledge of history goes up to about the age of 14. Yeah, right. And then he's like, yeah, well, yeah. I know what I, I, I mean, need to know. This is also like, uh, this ties in with the Napier chapter that, and that yeah, we heard right, on yeah. the last part of this episode. He wants very badly, uh, psychologically or whatever, to like have the hot general be like conflicted but ultimately pure of heart, and that's the thing that matters. Uh, yeah, the the, mm. the empire really is more about it's more how of it a makes vibe, you feel. Actually, <laughs> it's it's like an improv yeah. class. Just be yourself and have fun with it. Yeah, you're um, burning yes the summer palace and doing like yes and. <laughs> so mm. the destruction of this. Oh, here we go. Sorry. Most interesting of all, he's aware of the Chinese themselves and of the differences between them. Well, he, this he, is he no thing. He, he just, just that, some loud no. trees. So this is no slipshod account, but nuanced history. Wait, so he, the nuance is that he doesn't think the Chinese are just one guy in various different joke shop disguises. <laughs> like, my God, that guy gets around. What the fuck? Is this well, Jacob Rees-Mogg admitting he can't say, tell Chinese people what apart? What this is, is, this is... What marvels? This is, uh, Charles, wokeness points, Charles Gordon won, Roger Scruton yeah. zero. <laughs> he, he, yeah. he respected their agency when he was describing uh, burning down all of their mm. shit. So, 
The destruction of the Summer Palace left its mark on the man. Of this there can be no doubt. For Not Gordon as much never as the allow- mark on the palace, I guess. <laughs> for Gordon <clears throat> never allowed troops under his command to loot in any of his subsequent campaigns. <laughs> Oh, how, how generous! Looting. All his losses were lessons. And, you know, we know that that's true yeah, because. B- yeah, but because. M- more importantly, you get one. You get a pass for one time. It's, it's yeah, a like youthful the situation, General Gordon. So it was at that time uh, too that Gordon mounted the pedestal from which no amount of envious slander from Strachey or anyone else <laughs> has ever been able to dislodge him. He mounted, Although mounted the pedestal. Yes, because of you felt compelled darkness. to write this fucking slob job biography, specifically as like, whilst I am not mad at that prick, Lynn Strachey, <laughs> whilst I'm not, whilst I'm definitely not writing this, absolutely furiously masturbating at the idea of that cunt, Lynn Strachey, going anywhere near my special point. It's not, it's not made me angry. I'm not. I'm not angry about Lytton Strachey. I just want to put the record straight. I'm not that it needed putting straight because no one read his dumb history anyway, but I'm putting it straight even though it's already straight. So I'm just kind of like running my hands along the already straight edge. Not mad. Back in England, Charles Gordon fell into a routine life. His days began early with a cold bath followed by an hour of prayer and Bible reading. But that wasn't routine wow. then. That's an insane man. A cold yeah. bath. I, 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 every day I scrub myself in the dick with a wire brush until it falls <laughs> off. Well, He's just I like mean, the revenant. That's just I mean, how he lives his life. It takes a long time to get the surgery. Yeah. <laughs> um, his military work could normally be accomplished by lunchtime, which, to the unjust excitement of strange generations oh of lazy commentators to come, left him ostensibly free for the remainder of the day. Yeah, because, but in he, fact, uh, he was just doing Falk, right? He was just working in the Infinity Pool factory. <laughs> Imagine how much more empiring he could have done if he'd bothered well, to work in the, the afternoon. Thing is, he filled these hours with good work for the local poor. It is thought that in his Gravesend years, uh, Gordon distributed 90% of his income to charity. Cool. So again, let's pause here. What is this psychologically for Jacob Rees-Mogg? Gordon is shown to be a stoic hero and to frequently forego things as an ascetic, mm. whereas Jacob Rees-Mogg lives in a giant gold house and still has a nanny that wipes his ass. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's projecting himself onto Gordon here. No, I think I, how, like, how much prayer and Bible reading do we think that Jacob Rees-Mogg does? So remember, mm. Jacob Rees-Mogg... Only in like a kink situation. Jacob mm. Rees-Mogg is projecting himself onto the nostalgic characters in this book, like Pugin and Disraeli. He's projecting he's projecting his desire for an other on to the military heroes he's projecting his uneasiness because remember he was deeply influenced by his father who wrote about how carnage death and mayhem is the normal condition of humanity yeah. and how in order to be rich there must be blood in the streets but this is how what jacob Rees-Mogg profits from i think he is deeply unsettled by the knowledge of the injustice of his own position and dreams of military men like napier and sleeman and gordon who will keep him safe out of a sense of patriotic duty yeah, and they they are the ones who will do the pillaging and name him as the heir, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that makes more sense than any other version of this. That makes more yeah. sense than he has an interest in history. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, it, it makes total sense for some for like essentially for Bernard Matthews Jr. to make uh, to be a huge fan of butchers. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, so basically, though, that's what he's done is he has essentially written a, a history uh, coloring book yeah. where he can just project all of his fantasies about the world himself and the forces keeping him particularly safe. 
Hmm, so Matthews Jr. writing a slob job biography of his father to put the record straight after the malign interests of Big Turkey, <laughs> as represented by Lytton Strachey. So Gordon also went to Egypt, where he was employed by uh, Khadiv Ismail to effectively extend a small Egyptian empire down the Nile Valley. The British government saw this as a good thing that would stabilize the region. Where have I heard that before? Oh, this was like his body of lies. Yeah, the, and he's you, wearing you a tracksuit. You may also know this concept of going somewhere to fight a military campaign for someone who pays you as being a mercenary yeah yeah uh, but, but it's fine but that's <laughs> classic though, sjw because... revisionism yeah, yeah. Uh, you've, you've been a real strikey there alice <laughs> <laughs> the just really government. just really into this idea of gordon as like a modern blackwater mercenary he's just got like yeah. a baseball cap and a really scraggly beard so <laughs> tribal tattoo yeah. the government approved the government approved of gordon taking this private role because it was basically strategically good for them and you know jacob reese mog i saved you 10 pages yeah, well, it's, yeah. it, it's good for them and also they don't really want this fucking freak dipshit who's just like constantly well, bathing and throwing bread into drawers and shit anywhere near a, them he's a national hero at this point he's brought he's widely beloved but unless people get near him, and then he's really fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great uh, that he's out of the country. Oh, he's like a Rolf Harris kind of figure. So, he <laughs> accepted the job from Ismail, uh, Jacob Ismail writes, but declined the handsome salary that went with it. After he, he, all, he, he, he was a mercenary for the love of the game. Yeah, well, yeah. well, here, we're going to get into Pro that. Pro bono. After all, he remarked, <laughs> all the coin one takes is wrung out of poor people, unlike the coin I take. And mm. he might have added, by a despot's wielding whips, unlike the coin I take. Ismail <laughs> thought that Gordon's agreed pittance meant that he must have been a spire in the pay of the British. Well, he was also yeah, both. Yeah, because uh, famously, he's yeah. doing Pete Buttigieg shit, right? He's like going down to Africa for the love of the game. Yeah, definitely not being a spy. He's like holding the gun upside down, and he's just being like, "Well, I, I went over there, and I found that uh, actually that our, our differences are what make us the same." So Ismail was not unreasonable. No, 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 suspicious. That's, that's wrong though. He's the different kind of CIA guy. He's not the kind of CIA guy like Buttigieg who like takes the photo and brags about it. He's the kind of CIA guy like Evan McMullen who just spends like. Years year after year, like, religiously murdering people, and then uh, comes back and is just like, gosh, I love to read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, also probably, I'll, Gordon mm. definitely wore some magic underwear. <laughs> so, Ismail was not unreasonable to be suspicious of British intentions, though, because in 1875, Her Majesty's government effectively took control of the Suez Canal, <laughs> and in 1879, the British overthrew Ismail himself. <laughs> Whoops. So, here's the thing. The only person in this entire interaction between historian and characters and readers, um, with the full benefit of hindsight, the only person here who is not suspicious of Charles Gordon is the biographer. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> he's engaged no part of his critical faculties. No, he's like, well, he said he was just going. Well, here's the thing. He actually did have another agenda, not to seize Sudan as a British colony, which is what happened to the Britain's great prophet. It was to end the scandal of slavery. Oh, what? Because of course. right and wrong were at stake, and General Gordon and all those who stood behind him was on the right side. Irrespective of anyone's general <sighs> views on the intricacies of imperialism, it was clear that the British it's presence not, in the Upper Nile Valley improved matters for the local people. It's not an intricacy if you systematically set up a system of trans Transatlantic slavery, and then uh, fifty years later, decide, hmm, that's actually quite bad, and we're going to stop it by force. Fifty, 50 years later, it also becomes a problem for the mills in Lancashire. Yes, yeah, it's <sighs> yeah. 
just no. I'm speechless with fury, which is always a good th- a, a good sign thing that you want to do on a podcast. To see Gordon at work in the Sudan is to see action being taken, which for all its advances, the international community seems largely incapable of today. Why does Noam Chomsky, Litton Strachey, Jeremy Corbyn simply want genocides to happen? This is to this generation's discredit and still more reason why Charles Gordon's fame should endure with undiminished honor. For Gordon's principle was a lodestar of morality, and it seems that the guiding principle of the empire which he served was also founded on morality. <laughs> oh, se- se- seems to hurt. No one else, not, not, no one else was moral apart from this guy. Yeah. yeah. You, don't even see, be, you don't even have the courage of your convictions to be like, well, it seems to me, Jacob Rees-Mogg, that the British Empire was founded on morality. It, just, it just seems. It you're, seems you're, in the passive when mm. you're doing PR for free for long dead people and long dead organizations, it's Hell very yeah. interesting what you'll just repeat. Jacob Rees-Mogg, so, pro bono PR mercenary. Uh, <laughs> the story of the empire is that the British did not want to acquire most of it most of the time. <laughs> oh, amazing. And, we just, it just happened. And right? it was, we just tripped. Once, and once it was acquired, the country was mostly not very interested in it. A stable Egypt and a stable China huh. served British interests well. Ooh. In both cases, goods could flow unimpeded when there was political stability. You know, I, political stability... I, like like when there's a despot who will crush, like, say, a labor movement or like a nationalist movement. Political or- stability. I am, yeah. I am biting my tongue extremely hard just because of the purposes of time. But suffice it to say that I fucking hate this dude, man. <laughs> and also, it's like this thing where they're like, oh, well, most of the public wasn't really that aware of like what the where the empire was. And it's like, yeah, because most of them couldn't fucking read. Yeah, and yeah. also, if you ask most people who lived in Nazi Germany, they're like, we didn't know about the camps, right? I mean, yeah. like, you're not, they're not going to like tell people, like, oh, by the way, lads, just so you know, we did murder a bunch of people <laughs> in China yesterday. But it's pretty cool, so yeah. uh, don't worry. So, to read the biography of Charles Gordon, and this is back to me, and, and indeed every military man in this book, is to read a history of the British Empire that's mainly directed towards eradicating slavery on the basis of an abstract moral principle and nothing else, and then just being forced to govern to ensure political stability in all of these areas with all this valuable stuff, which was important for some reason. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's almost like uh, we have we have to like take over the governance of countries from their rulers because otherwise they'll do slavery. And the fact that these rulers were installed by us because they would do slavery has absolutely nothing to do with so, that. Anyway, Gordon was sent to Khartoum to oversee the evacuation of the city and now was in the path of the Mahdi. You know, uh, the guy who was going to um, yeah, uh, the, overthrow the, 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 the political, the, the, the politically imam, stable... Yeah. The, po- the guy who was going to overthrow the politically stable slave trade and ruler who keeps British and French investors mm. in the Suez Canal ha- uh, happy because he was threatened by him. So, yeah. anyway, he w- went and decided to send the city, request a reinforcements, but the fucking SJW Gladstone oh, Corbin wouldn't God. send them. Damn. And so he was killed. <laughs> SJW Gladstone was definitely a uh, fucking pigeonhole label in my Cambridge college. <laughs> so, those who praised Gordon at home are not aware of the opinion that those over which the empire ruled, the opinion he held, that those over which the empire ruled Oof. would probably be better off ruling well, themselves and that all matter. humanity was equal before the Lord. It, does, it doesn't Goodness. matter. It, it doesn't matter if if the if the Soviet Union was unaware of Heinz Guderian's opinion that it was a bad idea to invade Russia in winter, because he still fucking did it. Those who praised him were praising a hero, not a man. Nor was his fame sustained, because Strachey and others saw to that. What is it? You live virgin uh, Strachey. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself be defamed by Lytton Strachey. I I love this. Lytton Strachey lives rent free in Jacob (laughs) Rees-Mogg's head, which is very funny because it's the only person he would ever live uh, let live rent free anywhere. (laughs) You know why he probably? You know what he probably hates about Lytton Strachey the most? That Lytton Strachey was probably posher than him. Yeah. (laughs) 
So, as for the doubting and resentment which was begun by Strachey and which has ever carried on with its sour, long, withdrawn wine, Lord Christian... <laughs> Strachey famously sounded like a balloon that you just let the air <laughs> Gordon's Christian self-loathing was entirely justified, for he lived in the sure expectation of a righteous death and life eternal thereafter. He was a Valhalla and, guy. And Gordon was never a Strachey-like scold. <laughs> You, yeah, yeah Joe This guy was a military hero, not some lame writer. So, to, to be clear, oh, if, if Gordon, if Gordon had been born in uh, like the eighties or the nineties, he would have a tattoo of Gears of War from Gears of War <laughs> and listen to uh, Drowning Pool. Yeah, his name Gears I've of had, War. I've had a realization about this, which is that, like this book is so bad that in a thousand years, almost inevitably, someone will be reading it in a university classroom. Because like I remember studying classics and just like half of the fucking texts about Roman history you read were just written by like insane fail sons, but whose manuscript just happened to survive intact somehow. He's just like plowing through Suetonius in a vain attempt to learn anything about Imperial Rome from it. He's just like, oh, Boris, like, well, the thing about Tiberius is that he always wanted little kids to bite his dick off. And you're like, what? <laughs> Look, Tell I me still, something about him. I, I still <laughs> believe all of the Elagabalus stuff, that's trans representation. Hell yeah. So we're going to carry on. This is Albert Venn, the nephew of the famous diagram maker, Dicey. Ah, that's actually true. He invented drawing circles. Yeah. Mm. So few prominent Victorians have been hammered by posterity as consistently as Dicey. Yeah, pe- like, pegged by history. Are, are we get get, get mm. the alarm yeah, ready? I wonder by who. I wonder who's <laughs> holding the hammer. <laughs> like mm. Fugit and others, his legacy was rejected and his ideas debunked comprehensively. It debunked implies success. By the way, you fucking yeah, moron. Yeah, 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 it sounds yeah. like he just got owned. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and his ideas debunked comprehensively by the next generation. Rejected just for the crime of being wrong and factually incorrect. <laughs> Lytton Strachey dismissed oh Dicey in acidic God. terms as representative of the uh, eminent Victorians, and Strachey was not delivering a compliment. He, you know what this is? I have discovered the source of this beef. I think it is literally that he tried to read eminent Victorians because of the title, and was, like, personally betrayed and offended that it was ironic. <laughs> None of these Victorians were in any way eminent. I don't think you think positively about any of these people. I don't think you think the British Empire was a moral crusade. He tried to bring mm. up Daisy on on, cha- on like to offcom on false advertising charges. <laughs> such such has been the sustained criticism of Daisy that it has taken time and patience for a general reassessment of him to be glimpsed. By the way, Jacob Rees-Mogg loves Daisy because he was a defender of Britain having an unwritten constitution and said referendums were good. Ah, uh, right, huh. here we go. So that's yeah, why he's here. But only certain referendums, not referendums like, should we have a royal family? Yeah, yeah. no, no. Well, no, here's no. the thing. There are only very few of these biographies are actually cynical. I think only the dicey one is cynical. All of the other ones are quite fantastical and filled with a sense of yeah. Right. Uh, this is the only one I think he thinks he's sort of, he's really communicating something here. Yeah, right, right. So we'll try, so obviously we're not going to spend much time on it because boring. <laughs> um, so as a philosopher, okay, sorry, excuse me. It is not possible to understand the Victorian era in these islands without also understanding Dicey. Okay. Yes, that's right. When you go to the Wikipedia page, Victorian Britain, it redirects you to A.V. Dicey, yeah, whose dope. article is a stub. Hmm. Absolutely. Good old Dysorian Britain. <laughs> we love to see <laughs> that's it. That's why they called it Dysorian Britain. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, the Dysorian era. Dysorian Jr. Yeah, he invented the dice, and that's why... As a philosopher of the British Constitution, and a unionist at a time when the union, and by union we mean Britain's colonial possession of Ireland, was questioned explicitly and repeatedly, Dicey's work, writing, and thinking, and judgment have stood the test of time. Again, just doing free PR for a dead guy. Yeah, and union is a very misleading word in that context. Well, 
Also note, yeah, he's the main figure responsible for the unwritten constitution. So, his early life was an ostensible catalog of failure, and Same. yet what a legacy, all mm. sustained by a sense of duty that was deeply Victorian. I could turn it round, guys. He did, what, <laughs> he did what he was called to do for his community and for his expansive sense of nation. Yeah, that's why I The sneers of Strachey and others were born out of a reaction <laughs> against this Victorian dutifulness, out of a feeling that he is contempt and his contemporaries could simply never live up to what had been done for them and accomplished before their arrival on this Scene. I, I wonder I how have, many I words a, of this. I have an opinion which may be bullshit, but which I'm increasingly coming to feel deeply, which is that Jacob Rees Mark has found a way to be anti Semitic to a non Jewish man. <laughs> just, just this, the way that he describes Strachey as this figure who just like is constantly pursuing me- good Christian men through <laughs> history and sneering at them, mm. it feels very uncomfortable to me. I'm pretty sure the word Strachey, Strachey is used more frequently than the word Victorian. Mm. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's at least one for one. Um, and also, I like that they were born out of a reaction to his dutifulness. He was good, and they hated good yeah, stuff. Exactly. And like that's that's what I mean. Is that I yeah. I feel like Jacob Rees-Mogg has found a way to like do racism in a way that doesn't even strictly apply anymore. It's yeah, like it's just weird. like a, a, accusing uh like I don't know. It's like accusing a Belgian guy of doing the knockout game. It's like <laughs> what that does oh. what. Hey, ready that stretchy mm. bell again because it's Here coming up in the next paragraph <laughs> from his father Thomas Dicey uh, he gained an allegiance to classical liberalism an ideal from which he never wavered he admired and respected his father his ideals integrity and industry by the way none of these people have any faults except for Gladstone yeah, yeah. yeah also who's going to tell all the right wingers that classical liberal is now just a euphemism for pedophile like who's going yeah. <laughs> to let them in on that one uh, and, and we can readily see that Thomas Dicey was the sort of sturdy upright individual the Lytton Strachey's of this world Jeez. so obviously resent of course man of solidity. I, incidentally, uh, I was reading some of Lytton Strachey's letters to prepare for this, and I found one which uh, was the the most podcaster possible opinion, where he's just like, I love being gay, but I hate being gay in Britain, because everyone here is a massive nonce. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, why he's can't like, there why just c- be some of-age men? Yeah, that's exactly what he's like. He's like, why does everyone in Britain just is uh, like attracted to thirteen-year-olds? Why can't we be like <laughs> Italians who just like men? <laughs> so uh, this yeah. is dicey on Ireland. Irish, and this is this I find very interesting because I'll, I'll tell you what it reminds me of after I finish this paragraph. Irish nationalism was rising, and it was gaining a solid footing in a country where the tentative process of land reform begun by Gladstone was helping the rural Catholic Irish. At the same time, a new educated Catholic urban middle class, which financial clout and money to spend, was assuming control of the levers of power in Ireland. Add to this a post-emancipation Catholic church in Ireland that was now in a position of dominance, its influence embodied in the new ecclesiastical architecture of Pugin and others, and it was clear to all observers that Ireland was in the process of changing. He's basically describing the Celtic tiger with its very strange sky <laughs> yeah. But, but like also, also the, the sort of the tension at the heart of being an Anglo-Catholic, because you're too posh to be a, a high Anglican, is having this very <laughs> strange parochial idea of Ireland, where it it's very good that it's Catholic, but it's also very good that it's brutally oppressed. <laughs> so, exactly. With this new flourishing mood of nationalism came a wish for a restored national parliament in Dublin. This was the rising tide in favor of home rule, a measure of devolution or self-governing for Ireland under the crown. Dicey had no animus against the Irish. This in turn meant that he was sympathetic to the position of the Irish in Britain itself and sympathetic to their call for equality. Great sentence. Not Lovely. every word just fucking drops mm. out like a yeah. wet turd. Mm. Pings. Just- 
It's like an arrhythmic shit. Yes. It's, you know what it is? It's like, you know how when you walk along the sands in Dune, you have to do like an, uh, a no rhythm so the yeah. sandworms don't get attracted to you? He's writing like a Fremen walk. <laughs> Just a historical still suit recirculating his own piss. In, in the Great Exhibition, the still suits of the Fremen. <laughs> Nevertheless, Irish nationalism uh, ran counter to the Constitution, so could not be supported. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. Damn. Sorry. I, I looked in the big book of laws and it says that that's illegal. So, uh, <laughs> Sorry, you can't, you can't see also, it. Also, also, I don't want us to have a big book of laws, so just trust me. <laughs> Only me. Mm. I get it. So, for all that Dicey admitted clear instances of British misrule in Ireland and wished to see an amelioration of the conditions there, his ultimate answer was that Ireland must be governed in the same way as the rest of the country. Oh, um, my God. He vaults, literally check this did. Out, check this out. Check this out. Check this out. Mm. Such vaults as existed came about when Ireland was not governed as an intrinsic part of the United Kingdom, and any economic woes she, sh she had should be dealt with fairly and promptly, because if Irish prosperity was the issue, then that prosperity could be assured by staying within the Union. Oh, Christ. Uh, He's yeah. FBP. But for the 1850s, Get, getting oh, really, Irish. really mad that the Irish switched God. to green passports. Yeah, I love to be the the FBUK Irish guy at like Bristol fucking steamboat terminal, drinking a glass of gravy and just being like, "Oh, this will be my last one, thanks to Jeremy Corbyn, <laughs> UK Supergirl." I, I just, yeah. I, I'm very taken by the previous paragraph because that is the closest thing I've seen in the wild to an actual, uh, like, sincere restatement of, well, the problems are very bad, but their causes are very good. Mm. But here's the other thing, right? Like, if I were Jacob Rees-Mogg, which I don't think I am. Which you might no. be after having finished read this book. Maybe. Like, yeah. it might have, like, yeah. it's like the your Shahada, mind. but for being Jacob Rees Mogg. <laughs> giving myself a mind virus. You've been radicalized yeah. by yeah, It's Mog. an SCP, it's an informational hazard. Yeah, this yeah. is like high Tory Debeek, this book. <laughs> no. Um, no, but like, we're like, I don't actually think, I actually don't think he sees the irony in what he's written. No, of I don't course think not. he sees irony. No. no. Like, otherwise, he wouldn't look like that. <laughs> otherwise, he would like Strachey. And the, like, the, the biggest sin that Strachey has ever committed for Jacob Rees-Mogg is having deployed irony against the Victorians. <laughs> so, in, in defending the Union, Dicey did something that historians find hard to forgive. He stood by a case that lost and made gloomy forecasts that were broadly right. Okay. Oh, my God. Oh, God, I so say this is this is funny. Um, there was nothing in Ireland which led to Dicey's unionism. There was no ancestral tie, lure, or pull. His wife, Eleanor Bonham Carter. What? <laughs> Whoa! What? They were living. They were they were looking to make like a spooky island. <laughs> Eleanor Bonham yeah. Carter. Yeah, Eleanor Bonham Carter. <laughs> yeah. that, that rules. Yeah. I, I, uh, Milo's girlfriend asked if that's Helena Bonham Carter, and I'm saying maybe, maybe it's, she's it's ageless. Helena Bonham Carter's great, great, great spooky grandmother. Is she Highlander? Yeah. And I think it, she and might you know be. what? You know what it adds up? Because Eleanor Bonham Carter is now a skeleton, <laughs> which is pretty spooky. His wife, Eleanor Bonham Carter, had no encumbered <laughs> estates or fond childhood memories. Um, I guess well, she at had all? no fond childhood memories. <laughs> You're such a good writer, man. She was raised by wolves. Not even nice wolves like the ones what raised Romulus and Remus. Nasty wolves. Dicey wolves. Dicey was a unionist because he thought that unionism provided the best context and dispensation for everyone and that any change to it of the sort encompassed by home rule can only leave any everyone worse off. Big fan, big one of, the fan worst of, of, of Riley's Lisa Nandy accent there. Um, mm. Wait, that was Milo. That was uh, me. Oh, sorry, fuck. Towns. The wolves in the towns. Yes. So, uh, Dicey on referenda. He loves referenda. Mm. Of course. Uh, uh, but oh, before that, yeah, he was like, you know, 
Um, home rule didn't work because it was a badly thought out piece of legislation that created a massive uprising in Ulster, of Ulster Protestants against it and laid the foundations for the Troubles today. But that's because they tried to solve colonialism without fixing the colonial problem. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, hmm. I, I'm glad this will never be rectified. And I'm so glad to be reading this book, this mind virus that has infected me to the point that okay. I can't remember the names of my friends. We got we got to skip we got to skip along here. I'm going to skip Dicey on referenda. He liked referenda, and that's Jacob Rees Mogg yeah, being course, cynical classic. there. It's the only place he's able to be cynical. Everything else here is just mm. him projecting. So, W.G. Grace. Now, oh, now we're getting into something I'm interested in. Yeah, here we yeah. go. So, W.G. Or Grace. As, or as Donald Trump would say, uh, d- d- double, double gay uh, grasse. <laughs> That's uh, your favorite cricketer. No, Donald, Donald Trump is super good at insults. Stop pretending no, he's not. D- d- Donald Trump <laughs> no, 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 no. W.G. Grace and Trump's mind verse oh, would be like W.G. Grace. No, he would be like the young quarterback that Trump said, I'd love to be his agent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. he'd have no problem with it'd be, WG. It'd be so Grace. cool. He'd be like, he's on the mustard. <laughs> the most famous man of all. He's on every jar of mustard. <laughs> Him so, and the pig. So, WG Grace was basically a normal athlete uh, who came to prominence as the greatest cricketer in the world at the time. This chapter uh, he, is. He J- was the best of eight people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this chapter is Jacob Rees Mogg's attempt to make this guy seem somehow an object lesson in. Something. Oh, oh it's, it, yeah, but we, we'll get into it. But I have a theory about why. So, I just love the idea that WG Grace's greatest rival was like an Australian guy with like frosted tips who was wearing <laughs> board shorts all the time. <laughs> oh, come on, Gracie, can't handle a fastball. <laughs> so. Why include a cricketer? Basically, W.G. Grace was playing in the same game that originated the long-standing cricketing rivalry over the ashes between Australia and England. He made a play that took advantage of an opposing player, like, not noticing something. It's not important, or to be honest, comprehensible what happened, but it was considered to be ungentlemanly gamesmanship, yeah. which was mm. a cardinal sin at the time. Yeah, he he did the thing of saying out. that there was yeah. something on their shirt and then flicking their nose with his <laughs> finger. So, <laughs> this added a competitive element to a sport that was considered sort of unbecoming, and this tension between his sort of more lower middle working class skill and the gentlemanly amateur aristocratic sort of like um, flippancy with which the game was treated was going to be one that was going to define his life because it was athleticism was something that was engaged in by like aristocrats who could self-finance Again, yeah a bunch of fancy I've saved you half a chapter I and love, also I love he, working class hero WG Grace he also invented the sort of like they, they, they were too genteel to hit the ball hard Mm. He, really, he, 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 he went hard at the ball. I, I think I think too genteel might be a cover for too inbred yeah, to yeah, hit yeah. the ball hard. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the ball just yeah. hits your gigantic yeah. chin and slobbering yeah. lower Your bones lip. are just made of butter and like weird <laughs> other bodily fluids. Uh, so, on his birth. Uh, William Gilbert Grace was born in the famous year of Revo- revolutions in Europe, and it is difficult not to ascribe a note of interesting coincidence to this fact. Hit no, that it isn't. word count. Yeah. Hit that <laughs> word count. It's it's he's, he's, he's just doing astrology shit. Yeah. Uh, he's a it Scorpio. Was the year, it was the year that Vodka Revolutions was founded. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the young Grace could not conceive of becoming a gentleman cricketer with private resources on which to draw. This was simply not part of the scheme of his life. In any case, the notion of professionalization was a fraught concept in Victorian England. Grace mm. had magnified and had maintained right out in the open his own competitive edge, and who in so doing created discomfort and edge in edge saying edge twice in a sentence so, yeah. to a mm. game that rather gloried that, count, baby. that rather gloried mm. in its gentlemanly image. A bat he, has four edges, so you can use it four times. He mm. was a true professional, hungry and ruthless, and helped shrug a dead hand from the shoulder of cricket, a weight that was keeping the game back. In other words, <laughs> Wait, like the God. hand from the Adams family. Jake <laughs> loves to say in other words, and it <laughs> infuriates me. Yes, but th- th- this is the thing though. This is 
is the point that he's trying to make is yeah. that actually I'm I'm doing you a favor. I'm like this guy because yeah. I'm hungry. I'm ruthless. This well, is Alice, the only time says, yeah, Alice, I'll ever says, admit that in, to myself. What he says is, in other words, he was essentially self-made and this created problems in Victorian England. Mm-hmm. So remember earlier when we said Jacob Rees-Mogg loves Victorian values, except where they don't coincide with what Thatcher yeah. would have said. Yes, okay. but he, he, he loves rapaciousness, and he loves greed, and like uh, trying to ascribe this to grace fairly or not is some way of like uh, l- like lauding those qualities in himself, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. I, I don't agree with you that Dicey is the cynical one. I think this one is cynical too, because I think it's the only one in which he actually recognizes his own... Uh, capacity to take and to uh, extract value. Um, See, what the reason I said the dicey one I thought was cynical is because I thought he said, "Oh, I'm going to show that referendums are great and that you know hmm. that all, all that these all these because yeah. he always he yeah. always quotes dicey in his political speeches in uh, Parliament. Right. Mm. I, I I think yeah, Grace might be an attempt to revive his own image, but again, I don't think he's capable of of the forethought. Yeah. Of yeah. Saying, oh, I don't, I, I, to- I don't think it's anything but accidental. But I think the cynicism okay, yeah. there is that it it, it he is it betrays uh, an awareness of his own mm. of his own greed, and I think the mask slips a little bit there. But then he undoes all of it because I love the way the grace bit ends. Oh yes, that's fun. Um, uh, so Grace was in some ways the model of of the of a Victorian. You spent eight paragraphs talking about how he annoyed all the Victorians <laughs> by being so un-Victorian. He, he, th- listen, the man. Will change his mind yeah. in the middle of a chapter. <laughs> in other words, you could say the opposite of what I just it's said. It's almost as if this was written in one sitting and it was getting late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was certainly the case in physical terms, for his strength and fitness was the classic picture of robust Victorian manhood. Yeah, he was hot. Oh, yeah. He was a chap. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, we'll remember the jacked Queen yeah. Victoria. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every look, everyone who was born after the nineteenth century uh, is like a green-haired mm. SJW with a septum piercing. Yourself, <laughs> yeah. nudes on only. The fans. thing about the Victorians was they were always lifting like big, like trapezoid <laughs> weights that said like one hundred on them yeah. and stuff, and wearing leotards with a big curly mustache. Uh, so he says. For his strength and fitness was the classic picture of robust Victorian manhood, and he had the confidence and strength to add reality to the image. So the four qualities he has are strength, fitness, confidence, and strength. (laughs) (laughs) Hell, hell fuck yes. As was the case with many of his contemporaries, a lack of historical context has lessened his stature in recent decades. We found it too easy to forget that Grace lived in a pragmatic age, which sometimes appeared to later generations as hypocritical. They thought the tables were too horny. <laughs> also, I don't understand why no one thinks badly of W.G. Grace. <laughs> like, he's literally well, one liter- of the most famous cricketers of all time. I think you'll find one person thinks oh, badly of W.G. Grace. Oh, no. <laughs> the SJW Litton Stratchy. Yeah, he, uh, he has, like, green hair for some reason. Well, mm. no, because Litton Stratchy never wrote about W.G. Yeah, Grace, because why the fuck would you? <laughs> He's <laughs> a fucking cricket player. I mean, if yeah. you're writing a history of cricket players, if you're writing a yeah. history about athleticism, sure. A bit of being strong, confident, fit, and strong. <laughs> this was, after all, an age of business success, whereas <laughs> our present society, being more tiresomely censorious, is more inclined to get more twice in the same sentence. Thank you, Jacob. We're more tirelessly censorious than 
the Victorians, they used to cover up table legs because they thought they were too sexy. He doesn't cover that point, and I think it tells you everything you need to know about the Victorians. This was after, also, it's like, yeah, the age of business success. I'd like today when everyone hates business success. That's why they're poor and renting. Yeah, and mm. also, wait, what, so, what mm. point is well, so, what is he? What? So he's here's what he's saying. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> more tirely, the society today, being more tiresomely censorious, is more inclined to criticize Grace for working with the grain of the society in which he lived, rather than seeking to overturn that society. Yeah, yeah, you Grace. Why didn't you lead a revolution? Because every you were born in the year of them. Every time you go to bowl the cricket ball, you have to like say your pronouns, and it's much less efficient. Exactly. Nobody is blaming Harry Kane for Brexit. What the fuck is he talking about? But maybe. They How could be. he have tried to do so when the risk was so high? Had he failed to create a new cricket culture, what might have been the result? But wait, Jacob Rees-Mogg, you're already saying he did. <laughs> he lifted a dead hand from the shoulder of cricket and turned it into a competitive sport. He did create a new cricket culture. You said it yourself. Guys, this is the... The publisher yeah. saying we need this now. Mm. <laughs> the publisher's literally we need like, this five we minutes need this, ago. We needed this five minutes ago. Yeah. Perhaps mm. the greatest player of the day might have felt found himself banished from the game for good, and that would have been bad news for cricket. That's su- that's such a fucking sentence. That would have been bad news to, for cricket. That's yeah. that's very much the uh, in the game of prime ministers. There's only one quarterback, mm. and that's football. Uh, <laughs> in the in the cricket game, there's one main game, and that's cricket. Yeah. <laughs> like, also, if you're gonna write a book about how the Victorian era laid the moral foundation for Thatcherism, you're going to need to say the ideals of the Victorians were important when they involved doing what Thatcher would have done. But then somehow going against those ideals is somehow more Victorian somehow when mm. it was Thatcher. What, what it was what Thatcher would have done it's so so frustrating well, that's, what I, that's what I mean himself. about it being cynical is I think that's the awareness right is that he knows on some level that uh, the values that he actually has not the ones that he pretends to are ones that were repulsive to the Victorians who were like had their own yeah, set of repulsive then, values forget, in different reasons but don't, yeah don't forget mm. I mean most of those values would have been fine to most of them. It's just he he didn't perform. He didn't have all the right aesthetic yes, things. Yeah, that, that, that's right exactly family. my point. He's he's yeah. spent his life in pursuit of that respectable aesthetic. When like I, I I feel like he is comprehensible to most Victorians as this kind of gauche Aravist. Uh, oh, he 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 just got rich off of his factory where the money makes money, uh, and that's that's not yeah. gentlemanly. Uh, so I, I just I what I don't I just. I can't understand when you like cricket because you you know you have an Indian family. There is often this funny thing where you're like, it's really weird that the thing that unites people with Indian families and people with very rich aristocratic English families is cricket. It's really weird, and you often wonder how you square that circle. But there is always a part of us, and I speak for the first probably only time in my life for the Indian community that suspects that posh white people do not understand cricket. We all <laughs> suspect that they do not fully grasp yeah. the game, and. Reese Mogg does not understand cricket. It's just been an elaborate long con. It was invented by a bunch of posh white Victorians as a joke, and then all of their descendants have just like gone along with it. So yeah. I'm going to say the last, the very, uh, we, this, not you, the you end of the chapter. You thought it was a real sport. You thought we weren't just making shit up when we said things like "silly mid on." <laughs> so this is what this is my favorite line from the Grace chapter. In addition, it is perhaps forgotten that Grace played in the earliest test matches at a time when it took several months for a team to travel from the UK to Australia. Whoa. Wow. Fun fact, Jacob. (laughs) 
Thanks. D- d- yeah, <laughs> Thank th- th- this cool. brought to you from I, I guess like the mm. like fun facts they used to put abo- across the bottom yeah. of the screen on top. Oh, it of took the pops. it took a few weeks to get to the nearest Bunnings. Then yeah. Yeah. you wanted to snag it to plan yeah. in advance. Yeah, you, so, can, yeah, you can barely even run an Australian podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- yes, uh, indeed. Don't forget, in the Victorian times, they didn't have the airplanes yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I write this from my desk in the bush. <laughs> You'd so. probably love that, Greta. <laughs> mm. Greta Litton Strachey Bloomberg. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna coming to we're coming to the the final chapter. Victoria, pole star. Uh, oh my god. The Queen influenced so many lives. Each of the men whose lives have been traced in this book glanced back over his shoulder at Victoria. Oh. Some met her in person. Damn. Indeed, some spent altogether too much time in her company. Oh. Others never Others never met her at all. Yeah, wh- but wh- regarded, what does but, he mean by that last bit? Uh, who can is, say? Is he alleging WG yeah. Grace fucked Queen Victoria? <laughs> Someone say she was sorry. the greatest Victorian of all. They he's named one, it after her. He's one of the third category. The others who never met her, but all of them regarded her as a reference point. A mm. moral or cultural pole star who guided their work and directed their sense and ide- of identity and purpose. Yeah, I bet WG Grace thought about Victoria every single day <laughs> when he decided to somehow be Victorian by not being Victorian and being too gamesmanship for cricket. Yeah. <laughs> Be- being Queen Victoria is like being down. Muslim. You have to think about Queen Victoria five no, times a day. Uh, so let, we're going to finish this up. Yeah, uh, please God. The history we of the Victorian the age will never be written, sniffed lit and stretchy. But he was wrong there. As he, Well, this is from the, the, yeah, from the opening I know. crawl. I... Yeah. But he was wrong there as he was so often elsewhere. Just uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, he, why does he hate Litton Street, she's so it's, it's much. such a fascinating thing. Anyway, like, we, we sp- I absolutely love yeah. the idea that he's got this obsessed with a person he's never met before. Uh, so what I really like here also is um, j- the same 20 pages that described the way that she married, that Albert married Victoria, yeah. are more or less copy-pasted in the chapter on Victoria about how she married Albert. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, they apply to both. That's just efficiency. Uh, Guys, the publishers were saying, seriously... This needed to be in yesterday. <laughs> um, this background is vital because it illustrates the vagaries of history. Victoria was only born because there was a bounty offered for her birth, in effect, to bring her into being. She only became queen because of a Ruritanian law drafted decades previously, and because another princess had died in childbirth the year before Victoria herself was born. Jacob Rees-Mogg the- fucking like led us out of the EU because he thought Ruritania was going to join it. Don't fucking use the word Ruritanian to me. Yeah, also he says... How the destiny of an age and of a country and an empire can turn on chance. Damn. Yeah, that's right. If not for Queen Victoria herself being born in that exact... It's, this is the, a man whose understanding of history is one thing happens after another. Yeah, it's he thinks, thing they he all thinks in that Strachey is a time cop who is yeah. like going back and forth oh, through we'll, history with wait, a gun. So he's basically saying... Well, that was all a bit of a stroke of... Like, this is the historical equivalent of ending a novel with and it was all a dream. Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was basically, good thing Victoria was born, otherwise we wouldn't have had Queen Victoria and would wouldn't have, have had the Victorian yeah, age. W- would have had to have called the book something else. Yeah. And it's already called this. So here's a, here's a fun line uh, on men. Prince Albert was famously the man in Victoria's life. Oh, one of them. <laughs> uh, uh, th- there it ends. On race. Importantly, Victoria had no hint of sectarian enthusiasm. Uh, vocally- are we sure this is not about men also? <laughs> she vocally decried mistreatment of her Catholic, Hindu, Muslim, and Jewish subjects alike. This is because they were her subjects. 
Cool. But wait, hold on, hold on, Jacob Rees-Mogg. I have trapped you in a cunning trap of your own logic, because earlier you said that it was necessary, she was the guiding force, that everything flowed from her, but also that she was deeply, like, against persecution of, like, minorities in an era when people were measuring skulls. I don't know why. So... Again, it's like she was the most influential. She had no influence. <laughs> Everything was by her design. It was blind yeah. luck. Yeah, she her was inten- only influential yeah. on the good things. Yeah. Well, no, her intentions were very pure. And that's what matters because she gave everyone pure intentions and then everyone had pure intentions. So the fact that everything was shit really can't be ascribed to them. Mm. It's like this book was written by two different ghostwriters. <laughs> uh, and uh, here's she's talking about um, uh, Munshi Karim. So as for Munchie, her next and last familiar, Kareem was a fucking pri- wizard. Yeah, Kareem was a private secretary brought into the royal household to help teach the queen the languages of her Indian empire. The Munchie was simply loathed by all concerned. And this, the truth is that it is difficult to acquit them of racial prejudice. But not for lack of trying. <laughs> yep, that is the strongest terms he can bring up to condemn that. <laughs> is this the well, end, like only time we've heard racism mentioned? Yeah. 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 And you know what? Hey, he did it. Hey, hold my hands up. A lot of those guys saying we don't trust that packy near the queen were a bit were not okay. Yeah. So you know that's all I'm going to say about that, though. Anyway, it's difficult, but not impossible to acquit them of racial prejudice. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that he can't even then. He still can't bear to say this was because of racism. Mm. He has to say this is a subject for the courts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so her on her inspiration. This was a monarchy that presided over and honored the Victorian age of philanthropy. Victoria and Albert were ardent champions of voluntary endeavor, which in her reign encompassed many forms of welfare, including hospitals and yeah, schools. But, like we we kind of talked about this in the Albert thing. All of that was like useless fancy lad stuff. You you open a hospital that's named after you that only treats like three orphans. <laughs> so, between people and sovereign, the real connection was not to the impersonal state headed by Victoria, but rather the good works she encouraged and indirectly inspired. Interestingly, while the idea of a welfare monarchy was intimately tied up with good works, it was not some kind of John the Baptist for the coming of the welfare state. <laughs> it was instead see, what, what, it- I see what's happened here. Yeah. Jacob Rees-Mogg has badly misunderstood the phrase welfare queen. <laughs> <laughs> It was an, instead an end in itself. It was that most Victorian of ends, doing the right thing for its own sake. Yeah, you most, know, most unlike Victorian paying your taxes West or whatever. Promise. Yeah, literally unlike paying. Yeah. No, that because that's that's the state doing it. And yeah. if you pay your taxes so that the state does it, then that's not moral because you are giving those children an iPad. Well, and also, who picked the state? Mm. Who yeah. picked the queen? God. Yeah, exactly. You know, what do you think? You're going to question God? What are you, Lytton Strachey? (laughs) (laughs) So, on the loss of Albert, her response to his his death was understandably extreme. Her reaction, plus her withdrawal from public life, conspired to paint a picture of a queen who had abandoned her duties, first under the weight of unbearable grief, and then out of something akin to self-indulgent wallowing. What? Who who do we think painted this picture? Oh, uh, okay. Certainly, Victoria the Irresponsible is the spiteful image Lytton Strachey tried to paint. Can we yes. get like a counter? Can we get Nate At to last. go through and like <laughs> add and edit in how many times? I genuinely th- think it would be fair. I'm, I I don't know that there are biographies of individuals that mention the individual's name with hmm. the frequency Jacob Rees-Mogg well, brings up. 
it was like we said in the beginning of the first episode. This is an this is about Jacob Reese Mogg wrestling with the Litton Strachey that lives in his head about the world that he wants, but that the imaginary Litton Strachey keeps vandalizing in his imagination. <laughs> um, he was very successful in this, and the staying power of his jibes is astonishing. <laughs> why, did, why do they make mean jokes about me? Yeah, Queen Victoria reads reads mean Lytton Strachey biography <laughs> on Jimmy Kimmel. The century of sneering at the Victorians is not simply the handiwork of one Bloomsburyite, for Strachey oh, was preaching to a secular choir. Once again, that's one of the most anti-Semitic sentences I've ever read. <laughs> I'm like, just like, what? He wasn't even what? <laughs> there was there has rarely been a century more resented for its success than the nineteenth. <laughs> At least the 19th century raised its kids. <laughs> That's great. I what love the fact that it's What does now. to all his victims is simply victims! to tell Victims! <laughs> These are the main victims of, vict- of the Victorian era. The victims! People of- who were got mean things written about them later. Queen Victoria has had to leave Twitter <laughs> because of the things that Lytton Strachey has written. Uh, yeah, the, he is the epidemic of trolling. And it was that he doubted there again because you're you're bound up in the politics of personal virtue. Then doubting someone's sincerity is the worst thing you could possibly do, oh and having good God. intentions is the best thing you could possibly have. Mm. This was Strachey's horrible and selfish genius. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's Lex qu- Luthor. Brees <laughs> no, Mogg is quoting someone else here, talking oh, about eminent Victorians. Fine, fine. Thus, in Victoria's case, readers are encouraged to watch ironically and coldly as she parades her emotions in a paroxysm of self-indulgence. This is certainly what Strachey did, and in so doing, Strachey strips her writing of its power and denies the possibility of her pain. Cool. Litton, Strachey, stop silencing women. (laughs) (laughs) The woke left, everyone. (laughs) So much for the liberal left. Mm. Um, So, and this final thing is uh, on what Jacob Rees-Mogg thinks history should be. It is easy to lose sight of the discontinuity. By the way, um, remember the passage from Lytton Strachey that we read at the beginning yeah. while I read this. It is easy to lose sight of the discontinuity that occurred in Victoria's time. It had its downsides, which were visible at the time, not least to the queen herself. While its great games came slowly, they did come. And that they came down to this generation <laughs> securely is in, And that they came down to this generation securely is in part a tribute to the country and the empire over which Victoria ruled. For it would be a worse world today had she and the Victorians never existed. <laughs> yeah, the the um the only two oh options. Oh my god! Yeah. Time cop lit and straight. going back through history and making Queen Victoria do the thing where Marty McFly in Back to the Future just stares at his own disappearing hands. This whole thing is the zinc advert from The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> this whole thing is, come back, Victoria! Come. Yeah. Oh, I thought I was living in a world without looms! <laughs> Just a bunch of extremely confused Georgians sitting around in 1901, <laughs> scratching their heads. Like, what even happened? Oh. Fucking yeah. hell. Is, is he, what, the alternative was just that everyone would have slept through the 1900s? <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. You know, it would be a worse world today had the Victorians never existed. What? This is someone who is so bound up in mistaken criticism for destruction that he can't understand that anything but fawning adulation <laughs> for everything that happened in the 19th century is identical for a call for it to be conceptually dynamited. <laughs> I think he understands the study of history. (laughs) Victoria was the queen of a great uh, was the queen for a great empire who viewed all her subjects equally and allowed the constitution to develop peacefully rather than clinging to the remnants of monarchical power. 
This was at the heart of her success and secures her place as a great Victorian. What that actually means... Uh, fucking bye now. Yeah, who does? We don't yeah. know. Yeah, just, does he end with that? Uh, uh, I have to check. I mean, I, I, I closed this book a while ago. Yeah, it's ago. fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. You, you don't just put it down gently. Yep. Throw it. <laughs> yep. Fuck the end. off. That's the end. The end. The end. The end. The end. The Victoria, end. in, yeah, in the many end. ways, yeah, yeah. was the, last the, the, the greatest Victorian. Great is capitalized at the last. Oh yeah, you like Great Britain? <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, who does he thank in the acknowledgement? Uh, let's see. Uh, from his agent, who persuaded him to write. Jamie Joseph, the editor who agreed to take it on and, and proved patient as political I, events I, regularly I, I overtook do, their publisher deadlines. I, I do want to uh, appreciate. I want to acknowledge his editor because no one should have to have suffered this. What did the What did the editor edit out? How much worse was the first one? Yeah, I imagine he edited the word "more" out. <laughs> it, 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 it's <laughs> a just lot. like a, a bunch of like a whole other chapter of all work and no play, but it's about lit and straightchy. Um. So, uh, Alice, you um, you've you've given this uh, you've given us a, a final lit and straight yes. passage to end on. Sh sh uh, would shall you, I read, would you like to read it? Yes, yeah. please. Yes. Go. So I, I I went through his letters as I said, and I found the thing about him like being gay and like making fun of English people for being massive pedophiles and everything. But I also found a letter that he wrote to Virginia Woolf, uh, in which he talks about the Victorians, and he like. He has the inverse podcaster's lathe of heaven. He has a lathe yeah. of hell in that he's entirely right about the past, but then as soon as he tries to predict the future, he gets everything wrong. Um, so, let's begin. Is it prejudice, do you think, that makes us hate the Victorians? Or is it the truth of the case? They seem to me to be a set of mouthing, bungling hypocrites. But perhaps really there is a Baroque charm about them which will be discovered by our great-great-grandchildren as we have discovered the charm of John Donne, who seemed intolerable to the 18th century. Only I don't believe it. I should like to live another 200 years to be moderate. And then here comes the lathe of hell part. The literature of the future will, I clearly see, be amazing. Oh no, it won't! At Dan Brown. At last it'll tell the truth. And be indecent, and amusing, and romantic, and even, after about a hundred years, be written well. <laughs> Quelle joie to live in those days, when books will pour out from the press, reeking with all the filth of Petronius, all the frenzy of Dostoevsky, all the romance of the Arabian Nights, and all the exquisiteness of Voltaire. <sighs> ah, the Da Vinci coat. Sorry, man. We got this instead. We really let you down. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we Jake, really we have, fucked it. What do we have? We, we have, have 72 virgins. Book. Yeah. We have 72 virgins. We have. We have. The secret's fun. Um, we have the knowledge that the last Avengers movie will be made either after our death or after the death, before just before the death of society in general. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, the, I, this, is, this letter is a powerful hauntological artifact, I think. <laughs> So what do we have? We have we we have like the novelization of Venom two. <laughs> yeah, um, we're, we're gonna um, yeah. Yeah, what if Litton Strachey watched the two thousand four Oscar winning movie Crash? <laughs> I think it would be very difficult to explain to him that we have had multiple Hulk films. Yeah, I, I I keep coming back to From Hell just because it's my like lens for understanding all Victorians, and I'm like, yeah, for 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 better and worse. Jacob Rees-Mogg has delivered the 21st century with this book. Yeah, poor old Strakey. He was sat there thinking we'd be 
churning up works influenced by Voltaire and Dostoevsky, and instead it's dudes rubbing one out to Joker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, you know what? At least we have good history writing in this book, the Victorians. <laughs> I've learned something. I hope you all have as well. Yeah, I think uh, we've all learned a lot. I've learned a lot about Jacob Rees-Mogg in particular. Yeah. What, a, what, an, what an interesting, interesting man, not at all pursued by a long-dead historian. And you know what? That's what made him a great Victorian. <laughs> oh, yes! Knocked it out of the park. <laughs> That's why they call him the sniper. Yeah, WG Grace um, over here. Uh, oh, my. So, I think now we've been recording for like a million years, so I have to say, Nish, Thank you very much always, for always a pleasure for enduring this again. <laughs> always a pleasure. I am delighted to be the person you subject this. You yeah. subject to we'll, we'll, the we'll, worst writing in the Western canon. We'll have to find something as bad, if not worse, for next time. <laughs> oh yeah, don't worry. You're gonna you're going to be like, oh, I I remember when we read read Jacob Rees-Mogg, <laughs> an era of Boris yeah. Johnson's novel. Yeah, <laughs> when like we're 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 reading the business like success book of the guy who took his dick out in that pub. <laughs> 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 Um, or we're reading. Oh, you know what we're gonna do next? Actually, it'll it'll be a little while. Um, Tom Watson's political thriller. Oh, no. yeah, no. that's gonna be it. Oh fuck. God. Uh, oh, before that happens, though, I want to thank you all for listening to us here on Patreon. Thank Nish again for coming and subjecting Always himself to this. Uh, and I don't think we're plugging anything because no? this is being recorded in the past. You do have to plug Ooh. the theme song, though. Yeah, uh, theme song is Here We Go by Jinseng. It's available on Spotify. Uh, listen Nish, early, listen up? often. I got, I got nothing. Yeah, I'm just chilling. If you see Nish on the street, vibrant. leave him alone. Yeah, if you see <laughs> me in the street, just, uh, yeah, just keep know, walking. Just nod your head. M- mind your, like, m- mind your business. Yeah. Just slowly nod your head in a way that implies to me that in your inner monologue, you're saying, there goes a great Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Later, everybody. Bye. Thank you.